0: The way she talks about, like, she believes, she says, she's like, I'm a God girl. She obviously has a faith. is a huge, strong part mm-hmm. of her, but she can have a conversation with you and say, like, whatever, whatever you believe, whatever your deity, this is how I, this is how, what I believe. But like, if you want to practice yoga, if you want to, yeah. you know, pray to whatever, like, that's fine. Like, there is something about a teacher that understands that it's not a one size fits all. And it's not about what you believe. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's about acceptance.
1: Welcome to Hustle & Gather, a podcast about inspiring the everyday entrepreneur to take the leap. I'm Courtney. And I'm Dana. And we're two sisters who have started multiple businesses together. And yes, it's as messy as you think. We know that starting a business isn't easy because we've done it four times. And on this show, we talk about the ups and downs, the hustle and the reward at the end of the journey. And we love helping small businesses succeed, whether that's through our venue consulting, speaking, team training, we love to motivate others to take those big leaps.
0: Or you could just use our misadventures to normalize the crazy that is being an entrepreneur because every entrepreneur makes mistakes. And we like to call those unsuccessful attempts around here and we know it's just part of the process, and today we're talking just the two of us about last week's episode with Dr. Anissa Riley, a former New York principal, a current motivational speaker, TV host, and author. If you haven't heard last week's episode, make sure you go give it a listen.
1: All right, let's get started. Well, that's a good episode. That was really good. Yeah. Yes. Just very inspiring.
0: Just very inspiring. I yeah. thought you had a lot of really good like tips and tricks, but... I think we want to start out. Um, she taught, she, obviously, she was a former principal. She talked a lot or about in the, education. In education, yeah. talked a lot about the trauma that teachers and administrators and principals experience. And curious, what trauma you experience as a teacher?
1: Yeah, I know. I felt like she uh, hit the nail on the head when she said that she had to ask to go to the bathroom. There's nothing yeah. like being an adult. And like working a real job with you know benefits and insurance and having to ask permission to go to the bathroom. right. I especially resented this every time I was pregnant. Yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah. I was like, this is ridiculous. and it just feels inhumane.
0: Well, I will tell you that I had a great experience being pregnant in restroom, whatever. I, by last year I taught, I taught at a middle school, and the principal came by every hour and would come to my room and say, "I'll watch your kids for five minutes, and let me go to the restroom."
1: What? See, that I never had that. Yes. That sounds like an amazing principal. He was a great principal. And it was a he. And it was a he. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yes. It wasn't even a she. I just assumed it was a she. No, it was a he. Yeah. It was very nice. Yeah. Very kind. So yeah. I feel like that was like very, I think that was a lot of like the um, trauma in general was, and especially from the administration. We had some good administrators because I was a teacher for nine years, but it spanned over like 10 or 11 years because I would take years off with my kids. It was the not feeling like an equal partner. Do you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. you kind of had this very us versus them mentality in the school mm-hmm. that I taught at, uh, like administrative teachers. And I felt very much like just lumped in with the students a lot of times. Right. So it felt, I don't know, not very empowering and very much like I think at the time I was like a 30-year-old woman. And why do I have to go to these lengths to go to the bathroom or to like assert my opinion or to do what I think is best, etc. Right. cetera?
0: Well, I think that for me, like my trauma, I was only in it for four years. So I don't have like a ton of it really. But if I was to think about the most traumatic experience that I had that actually did like take me some time and I'm glad I had space between it and sending my kids to public school was this um, student I had. And it was in high school. I was teaching chemistry at the time. And he was just unhinged. He was an unhinged kid. And he was manipulative. He was cold-hearted. Mm-hmm. And I kept a journal on him because his behavior was so inappropriate. Um, and it got physical like a couple times, like where he like threw a desk across the room. And it was just me and him in the classroom. And he threw a desk because he wasn't – like he, had, he didn't want to turn in a paper or something. Like he didn't want to turn in his lab or whatever. And I went to my principal – every single time. And I was like, I'm really uncomfortable having this kid in my class. Like, he makes me super nervous. And then the last time I basically said, either this kid is removed from my classroom or I am walking out this door Mm -hmm. right now. Like, I will not put myself in this. I was like, this kid's going to bring a gun to school. He's going to shoot it up. Like, I can guarantee you this is what's going to happen. They removed him from my class and not even a week and a half later, he was expelled for bringing a gun to school because that was his objective. Like, It was so, so traumatic to me. Like, I just was thinking, like, what if I hadn't said anything? Yeah. Like, what if I hadn't, like, handled this the way – like, like what if someone had missed the signs or whatever? And five years later, he passed away in a crazy car accident because he was going 140 miles down the hour, flipped his car Mm -hmm. on the highway. Yeah. Like, he was just an unhinged person.
1: That reminds me, too, of actually a story early on in my teaching – traumatic so it was stuck in the back of my brain that a student uh, who was, he was very reclusive, he was very quiet didn't like have problems with him in class but he uh, there was a paper found about detailing very specific detail yeah, about how like he wanted to kill me. Mm-hmm and a couple of other people who were, like, on this list, but, like, very graphic, very whatever. And I remember them calling me into the principal's office and telling me, like, hey, I need to tell you, like, this student, this is, this is, isn't this what happened? And they took it very seriously. He was suspended or expelled from the school for a year, and he actually ended up in a mental institution mm-hmm. for a solid year because he was diagnosed with schizophrenia, mm-hmm. uh, which he was hearing voices and things like that. But, it really made me feel, and I did feel this often as a teacher, how very vulnerable and unsafe mm-hmm. I was in that classroom. Yeah, yeah. you know, and this is, and this was before a lot of, you know, I mean, there's been a couple of school shootings, but it was before a lot of that. And I still, even had, one. yeah, yeah, this is early two thousands, right? Yeah. So like Columbine had, and it had happened, happened, but in, it wasn't as 99. common to me right. like as it is right now. Yeah. And even then, I remember just feeling like how. Exposed, I am like, Mm -hmm. and I remember feeling that too, especially when I had was starting to have kids and whatnot. Like, someone's gonna kill me in this classroom, like, my kids are gonna lose Mm -hmm. their parent because I'm teaching these children. I remember literally feeling that way. Uh,
0: But I have friends that are teachers now because I went to the teacher education program at Meredith. So, like, a lot of my friends, my college friends, are teachers. And one of my really good friends, like, has serious trauma over the amount of school shootings that are spent. It's not her school, yeah, she just can't sleep at night. For that very reason, because she's like, someone's gonna come in and yeah. like my kids are gonna be
1: parentless. Because yeah, because of this this, you know, uh job decision that I made. Right. And I did feel that way. Yeah. Like, and I'm I I tend to be I tend to fall on a little of the neurotic anyway. Little? Just a little as far as safety, like yeah. not other things, but like right. safety wise. Mm-hmm. And that was a big component. It was interesting talking about it because I obviously I do have some sort of trauma related to that. Yeah. But yeah. But I think
0: uh, what I think was so hard about teaching, and I really feel like she hit the nail on the head with it, is when she said that she's like, I know that I'm dope, but it doesn't honor my value and my worth. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so true for so many teachers. And I I do think that about myself. I was a great teacher. Like I know I was a good teacher, but it it did not honor my value at all or my worth. And there were so many little things that just made me think like, this is not, it's not, it's not worth it to me. Like if I feel terrible, I feel terrible about myself, which I shouldn't feel terrible about myself about something super stupid, you know? Yeah. And it makes me question like my ability. Like I don't, I don't need that kind of negativity.
1: Yeah. There is many times, and I think the system's kind of set up that way to Mm -hmm. question your ability and to devalue like who you are and what you bring to the table, like just the way that it's set up. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like dehumanizing, honestly, in a lot of ways. Like, I feel like even like the way that, at least in our county, how they would do like evaluations, how Mm -hmm. like the, they would come in and they tell you what you did right and what you did wrong. And it was, it never, ever felt like in a way to be constructive. Like, I felt like you could have done this or this would have been a better thing. It was always like, well, you did this wrong and this wrong and this wrong and this wrong. You need to work on that. And this part, did you notice that this kid was doing blah, 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 Mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, I don't know. I, I remember I remember one time, I think I have said this on a podcast, that I had a terrible evaluation from my principal. Like, he has popped in and evaluated. And I went to the evaluation meeting where he like goes over it. And he's like, so what do you think afterwards? And I was like, well, I'm going to turn in my resignation. He's like, why? And I was like, you just basically told me I suck. Like, why would you want me to be on your staff if I'm that terrible, right? Mm-hmm. I, all the things you told me. And he's like, well, you're not that terrible. I'm like, that's not what this paper says, mm-hmm. right? You just told me this in paper. And he's like, well— well, well, I don't think that. I was like, well, that's not what this says. You're more than welcome to follow me back to my classroom because I'm getting ready to teach a class now. And you can give me a reevaluation and we can discuss this. I was like, but if this stands, like, I'm just not going to work here. Like, I mm-hmm. obviously, you don't need me. And he came to the classroom and he gave me another evaluation. I never got a bad evaluation from that principal ever again, right? But it was a glowing review. But it was just kind of like, what What are you doing here, buddy? Like, are you trying to build me up? Like, you're supposed to be my boss. You're supposed to make me want to be better, do better, whatever. And all you're making me want to do is quit. Do you ever question, though, that, like, now
0: you would never be able to have constructive criticism from him?
1: I didn't want it from him. It didn't matter. It didn't matter what that man said. I was not accepting it. So so it had better be good. There there is a really (laughs) big difference
0: in bad administration and good administration because I, I really did not have in any school bad administration. Okay. So like for me, like my, I remember one of the most helpful pieces of advice I ever got was through an evaluation and they're like, yeah, your content was good. You engaged the students. She's like, but you, when anyone, when anyone ever answered a question, you always said great job, even if it wasn't a great answer. And Mm -hmm. so like it devalued what you considered to be Good, great, and okay. Yeah. And she's like, you don't have to constantly like assure the students that they're wonderful and oh she shook that the heart for a whole life motto. (laughs) Yeah. Like, but it was true. It was valuable. It's valuable information. And I definitely like I, I didn't really necessarily have that issue of not being told I was a good teacher. It was, it was to me, it came from above my admin. Yeah. It came from county and it came from state. And all I can think of now is how many teachers feel completely devalued. And I and I believe it. Like we were at vacation with our parents and we were talking about the the don't say gay bill or whatever and how mm-hmm. like damaging it is. And my mom was trying to push the fact to tell me, like, oh, but well, this is what they're getting in schools. And I was like, I can guarantee you my kids have never once heard anything that they believe that is like what I maybe would think is incorrect is not from their teacher. Right. It's from YouTube and social media, like, so all the bus. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So all these things that you are afraid of that is indoctrinating your children, that these people are, it's because you're not watching your children. Right. It has nothing to do with your teachers because the teachers don't care. Yeah. Like they're not pushing anything. They're there to educate your kids on the content, on science, on social studies, on math, on how to read. Like that's what they care about. Yeah. You know, like you're, you're putting your, your focus on the wrong thing. And you're devaluing all the years of education that they came with. Like, even even Dr. Nisa, right? Like, she obviously has been, has has an education. She's a doctor. But the way she talks about, like, she believes, she says she's like, I'm a God girl. She obviously has a, faith is a huge, strong part Mm -hmm. of her. But she can have a conversation with you. And say, like, whatever whatever you believe, whatever your deity, this is, how I, this is how, what I believe. But, like, if you want to practice yoga, if you want to, yeah. you know, pray to whatever, like, that's fine. Like, there is something about a teacher that understands that it's not a one-size-fits-all
1: and it's not about what you believe. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's about acceptance. Also, I feel like in a field that we don't value monetarily, which is, mm-hmm. you know, like how the world shows value in a lot of ways, I think, is money. So, obviously, teachers don't get paid a lot it's difficult work, Mm -hmm. it's emotionally draining work. And then also to put this whole, like, to me, the thing wrong thing with the bill is that it creates this whole attitude of distrust. Like, you think you have this inherent reason to control what's coming out of these teachers who already devalues, you know, mouth, whatever. And I just think that it just creates this terrible cycle of, I don't know. I just think it's going to get, it's it's
0: just going to get worse before it gets better. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. all doom and gloom over here. But it
1: is it's true. Well, let's
0: move on and talk about the other what I thought the other big part she talked about was trauma. Yeah. I thought there were so many good things she talked about. Yeah. With trauma. I really loved her storm analogy of how when she was in the middle of a storm, she couldn't find the eye. So she couldn't figure out like where it was. She's moving through it. And like when you're in the middle of a storm deciding, is this a hurricane? Is this like a yeah. thunderstorm? Is this a cool breeze? Yeah. Is this someone fanning the flames like blowing right. on you? You know, right? But so that was really, really, really interesting.
1: Yeah, I thought that was really great. Because I think when you're in the middle of a, a series of storms, they all probably feel like hurricanes, mm-hmm. like when it's one right after the other, after mm-hmm. the other, after the other. And to be able to identify like, you know, this is just a spring gale, you know,
0: right. or, well, what have you uh, not in teaching? Cause you I talked about a yeah. trauma teaching, but what have you not acknowledged as trauma in your life?
1: I feel like I've acknowledged a lot of trauma in my life, honestly. Like, I think I'm pretty open about a lot of that. I mean, I I do think that I have a very protective mind in that when I experience traumatic things, either, like, with people or situations, I very easily forget. Like, I can't recall a lot of really great details. And there will be things that have happened in my life that, like, in a conversation, like, even just talking about that situation with that student— I'm like, oh, yeah, like that did happen, but it feels very like far removed mm-hmm. from me. And this has been like a great thing, but also a really damaging thing, too, for me as well, because I don't necessarily remember things as they happened to be able to recognize or label them as they are, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think that and I say all that because I think that that really started when I was little. And mm-hmm. I think that the way that we grew up, with our parents and with how sick mom was and the amount of responsibility that I had, that that's like literally how I learned to cope. Like it's kind of like the way that my brain rewired itself. So I was able to cope and move forward and whatnot. Mm. Um, But I mean, I feel like I've acknowledged that trauma. Like I've talked about it multiple Mm -hmm. times. I can see where it plays out in my life over and over and over again. And I have to like actively work against it. I think, I don't think my life is bad, but I think there's lots of trauma in my life for, for sure. Yeah. I don't know. I think that
0: it's really interesting because it was maybe like about a year ago I was at home and I was talking to mom and she had, maybe it was a couple years, I don't know. She's, she was working, she was talking to a friend, trying to get a friend through like a really tough situation. She was, her friend had like some health issues and had kids and she was trying to encourage her that her health problems aren't going to permanently damage her children. Right. And so she was talking to me about it and mom was like, Hey, like, do you feel like you are worse off because of my health or whatever? And I was like, no, I mean, it's just who I was. I may not know any different, you know? And she's like, what about, you know, your senior year and all that? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't, I I don't think about it anyway any way or whatever. And so we had that conversation and didn't, didn't think anything of it. And, um, a couple, it was like maybe three or four, three weeks ago. I don't know what happened. I just, had too much to drink one night or whatever. (laughs) And um, the next morning, Sam was like, do you remember our conversation? And I was like, oh, God, no. Like, what did I say? (laughs) What did I say? What did we talk about? I promise it wasn't for real. He's like, no, he's like, it is for real. He's like, you have this conversation with me every single time you have too much to drink. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, and I knew what he was gonna talk about. And he's and he said, whenever I tell you that I love you, you just laugh at me. And you tell me like, there's no way that I could that I could love you. And he's like, and you go off on this whole thing about all these reasons why, Mm -hmm. like all like the negative traits of you or whatever. And he's like, and I can't convince you otherwise. He's like, and I've learned just to let it lie. Like I don't try to engage with you because before it would create this big fight, which I don't remember most of the time. And he was like, and I was about to go to therapy. He's like, I feel like you should talk to your therapist about this. Mm-hmm. Did you talk to your therapist about it? <laughs> I did. And we talked through it. And she's like, why do you think that is? I was like, wait, well, I mean, I think I, on a very like surface level, I can tell you it's because I don't feel like I'm worthy of it. Like I'm not worthy of being loved. And especially, you know, especially from Sam, who I always uh, probably put on an unrealistic pedestal in a lot of ways. And she's like, well, where, you know, where do you think it came from? And I was like, I don't know. And we just started talking about it. And I really do. I think that like going back to what mom asked, I do feel like that year of my life was very traumatic. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I've ever like addressed it because for a long time it was my badge of honor, my martyr mentality of like, this is what I went through. I'm like, you know, so much stronger, blah, blah, whatever. And when I tell whenever I tell anyone about it, they just think I'm like, I can't believe that happened. Like, I can't believe like no one stepped in and Mm -hmm. like, Helped or like did anything, and that's what it was. It was very much like fully abandonment, like full abandonment on yeah. every from every parent, from you, honestly, mm-hmm. from like every single friend, everything, yeah. and it was just very much like a I wasn't worth mm-hmm. like saving. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, which is where I think a lot of it, and that, and that's a, the same time me and Sam started, like dating and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So there was, like, all those, like, kind of convergence of things. Yeah. You know? And so I think that that's something I've never really, really truly recognized as being yeah. traumatic in my life, even though maybe on the outside it's just, everyone should be like, oh, that's obvious. I was traumatic. Yeah. But I don't think I would have ever called it trauma. I just would have called it hard.
1: Yeah. But I think that's, like, was the interesting point to me is, like, hearing her story I mean, it sounded traumatic, obviously. It sounded like a lot, but also it sounded like a success story. Like, Mm -hmm. I went through this. I stuck it out. I did these things. And, like, we came out stronger. The school was better. I Mm -hmm. was principal for 17 years. You know, I didn't let it get me down. And we tend to glorify those stories, Mm -hmm. right? Like, wow, what a badass. You know, Mm -hmm. like, what an amazing person. What a great story. And Blah, blah, blah. And you kind of get stuck into that story without really acknowledging, like, that there was uh, emotions and feelings and, there was trauma that got her to that point, mm-hmm. you know, because I think, I think you have to have both, you know, I, I think you do. Like, I think that for me, when I'm going through something hard or even like just take it just super surface level, like through the business and really like having to make, a, we're having a hard business time or making a bad or a hard business decision, hopefully not a bad one. And it'll, I can look back on our past and be like, okay, we've been through X, Y, Z, this is going to be fine. And I I garner strength from what we did in the past because mm-hmm. like I, I knew how strong we were and what we could get through and and it lets me know, oh, we're going to get through this too. So it's not mm-hmm. like those stories aren't valuable in the future, but I think that oftentimes we tend to like whitewash them mm-hmm. and sugarcoat them and not really deal with how what it took to get through it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. you just want to look at the highlight reel.
0: Yeah, I mean it's the same thing. I, I think Megan from The Planner's Vault, has this great post that she posts typically once a year because it comes up in memories. But it was her at the time just being so proud of how she basically worked until she went into labor. Like one of the kids, she actually Mm -hmm. worked a whole wedding, was in labor, worked a wedding, and then went to the hospital. And she's like, and I wore like a badge of honor. I was so proud of this fact that I did this. And she's like, look back on it and realize how unbelievably unhealthy that was. Yeah, and there is something about it that you feel like when you're when you've pushed yourself to the limit, you've pushed your body, your your men, your mental health, everything to the limit, and you survived it. There is something about you that wants to be proud of that, when at the same time you should look down and been like, I should have never done that. Yeah, like that should have never been something that I like participated in, did or whatever, and to yeah. be proud of it is then you're going to make that same mistake again because you are so proud of it.
1: Yeah, and I think, too, like, bringing it even to, like, parenthood, there's people watching you. Oh, yeah. Like, there's people watching you glorify and mm-hmm. deify that. Mm-hmm. And, like, do you want that for them? No. You know? Like, not at all.
0: So, I also love how she—there's a couple of things that I think would be cool to talk about. There was when she talked about the good Samaritan metaphor—
1: Yes, I did love that. And I love how she made it very universal. Like, yes. obviously, this is a, a, a parable is what they call them in the Bible. But yeah. I love how she called it a metaphor. But how she kind of left it open. Like, it could be a book or a podcast. Or, like, are you just in the place where you're open to receiving it? Yes. And I love the fact that, like, you have to let
0: go of what you who you think is going to save you. Yeah, like in your mind, you're like okay, well, my friends will be there for me, my family will be there for me, my sister will be there for me. Although that's will always happen, but yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, there's all these things that you think that the should or would, and really, when you're in those moments and you're in that, like, kind of that what you call that turning point, like where you've there's mm-hmm. nowhere else for you to go to be open to what that physical hand is going to be.
1: Yeah, right. Which I think is, I mean. I've experienced that, yeah. like where it's like maybe, maybe something I read or something I heard, or even it's like mm-hmm. a sentence that somebody said. And I've, and she talked a little bit, kind of making it in conjunction with like how she anchors her soul. Yes. There's been a many like aha moments for me, like on my yoga mat, where mm-hmm. like my mind is clear. Like I've gotten to a point where it's, you know, able to receive something. And then something really just kind of like sinks and I have like a greater understanding or. I have a new thought or a direction Mm -hmm. that I think kind of goes hand in hand with those two things. Like, are you open to me, like what the universe is sending you and have you created this like anchor where you're able to receive that? Yeah, I don't know.
0: I don't know if I, I don't know if I have that necessarily. I feel like I'm a pretty open person in general. Like I consume information regularly that, yeah. but I, it's controlled consumption so like I will say like okay I've, I feel like I'm really struggling with this I'm gonna like learn a little bit about it yeah. I'm gonna get a book about it I'm gonna try to like educate myself on it. I'm gonna try to change my mindset a little bit because I can definitely be like all up in my head about things but I don't know if I have this like what anchors my soul. I mean Well, I was
1: joking before this podcast that I thought it was Scotch. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's probably alcohol.
0: Although it feels like based on the story I told earlier, alcohol just brings <laughs> out all the trauma that I've had in my life. But um <laughs> no, I do think that. But I, I think more than anything, it is quiet time. Mm-hmm. Like I do think it is that it's like last night was so it was just like a it's just it's worse than that time of parenting where it's just a grind. It's just a grind. Yeah. And it is the most exhausted I've ever been. Like even Like, honestly, like, me and Sam have been in bed before, like, 9 p.m. most nights, which is, like, bizarre for us because we are, like, such night people. But, like, yesterday, I was just, like, I just need quiet. Like, I got Henry through his homework. He was was doing something. Sam had Ada at basketball practice. And I had, like, 45 minutes where I didn't have to, like, really do anything. And I was, like, I'm just going to go sit in the bathtub. Yeah. And just lay there and fall asleep, not drown.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. I've I've taken I've taken several baths lately because I do kind of feel like that same like I need quiet, still like sanctuary, really. Like I need sanctuaries, really, sanctuary is really what it is. Yeah. yeah. And I've um actually like made it a little more ritualistic, right? Oh, so can- I have the candles. I have candle. Do you sage? Uh no, but I have Palo <laughs> Santo, which is like wood, And so oh. you burn it for like 30 seconds. I love the way that it smells and it's supposed to like kind of clear your energy. Okay. Right. And Uh, also bring good energy and prosperity and whatnot, Mm -hmm. just kind of, like, really clear the bad energy out. So I'll I'll do that and kind of get it all nice and smoky and just, like, really just relax into, like, that mental space Mm -hmm. and just let it go. Let it go. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is so key. And I recognize that, like, oh, I could do – because, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not like I have all of my other ducks in a row, so this is, like, a reward or something because, like, you know, there's still dishes, laundry, everything's a disaster. But – Recognizing that I could do all of these things, but what I really need to do is this, and it's going to allow me to like show up as my best self for my kids the next day. But isn't that the problem? Is that the things that anchor our souls, we use it as a reward? Yeah, I had to start getting out of that mindset. You have to get out of that mindset because you won't survive it. I know. I did used to think that. I'm like, oh, I'm going to save this, whatever it is. Like, I'm going to do this, 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 and then I'm going to be, I'm going to reward myself. And I think you were taught this. There's probably some social media campaign about this. I don't know. Sure. But I'm going to reward myself with this. And no, sometimes you just do this and then everything uh-huh. else becomes more productive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Or like, and who cares if it's not productive? It's not right. about being productive. Yeah, because I, I think that there definitely is something, and I think this is really hard for an entrepreneur, is to not t- to not tie your value or your worth to your productivity. Mm. Like you can be valuable and worthy without being productive but mm-hmm. sometimes it's hard to wrap your mind around what that looks like yeah it's very true yeah but okay. I think that like all these things kind of talks really to how she was talking about when she finally stopped being a principal mm-hmm. that it freed up so much mental real estate she's more creative yeah she's way more creative and I was thinking <laughs> it's a great metaphor mental real estate so if you were like listing your mental real estate for rent mm-hmm. right now like, what type of know. what type of uh real estate would you be listing? I have no idea. How much is free? <laughs> There's just isn't well, I mean, I feel like Is it a tiny house? It's probably is a <laughs> tiny house, I would say. Like but an Airbnb, it, like one of those aways.
0: Like, but I feel like you could even say probably honestly, really, it'd be like an apartment, like maybe okay. like a two bedroom apartment with be my mental real estate. And that's just recently, because I feel like we've divvied up duties and that's freed up my my, my mental plate. A decent amount
1: for I me. I feel like it has definitely expedited my to-do list. Yeah, So I have been really happy with that. Yeah. And yeah.
0: like it's just, you can focus on certain things yeah. and you're not like worried about everything else. Like your, your just mind's more clear.
1: I would agree with that.
0: But I feel like, but for me, work is definitely work is like a bedroom in this mm-hmm. real estate thing. And then like the kids is everything else. Yeah, Like just, and at me, we were just talking about this the other day, like every morning, me and Sam, like we wake up in the morning, we look at our calendars, we like create a plan for the day. We like have a conversation over coffee. We like call each other at some point because, well, one of us will forget what the other one said they were going to do because it changes from day to day. Yeah. You know, and like, oh, how's your day? Are you, like, mentally able to, like, handle this? And, like, la- yeah, yesterday I was supposed to take A to basketball, and I was like, I can't do it, dude. Like, I can't. Like, I need – I need to – he's like, that's fine. I'm going to do it, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's like that
1: all the time. Yeah. It's just, like, so much all the time. Yeah. You guys do have an awful lot of extracurriculars, I will say, it feels like. Yes. Yeah. Well, it is. It's that. It's just like their goals we're just trying to help them get to their
0: goals just trying yeah. to teach them like how to work hard for things yeah and yeah aiden has been taking basketball super seriously which just requires a lot of, from us yeah and same with hen him. like hen's like i want to do baseball but i'm like okay well then you have to do all your homework and do all this and then
1: yeah i don't know what i, would, I mean I, I feel like i don't have a lot of mental real estate honestly you're probably a tiny house yeah probably like a like a shared like a four-bedroom flat that was really supposed to be a two-bedroom apartment, but now accommodates eight people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you have like like that.
0: You, you have the, I have none for rent. You have nothing even available. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to. Brain.
1: So, I mean, the, the division of duties has been helpful because I've been yeah. able to really like, I've put out a lot. Like it I've has. produced a lot. Mm-hmm. So I've been, and that helps free up some of my like kind of momentum, I guess momentum situation. Yes. Like, all right, I can do that. I can do this too. I can do that. Right. And. So I feel like I'm making headway on some of the projects that have been backburnered and work only, literally only work. Everything else is like on pause. Thanks, everyone, for gathering us today to talk about the hustle. For our episode with Dr. Anissa, we are drinking a City Gin, also known as ice water. We hope you get the chance to drink it this week and cheers to honoring your value. To learn more and connect with Dr. Anissa, you can visit her on Instagram at askdr.riley or visit her website, askdoctorreilly.com.
0: To learn more about our hustles, visit us on the gram at CND Events, at the Bradford and C, at anthem.house, and at Hustle & Gather. If you're interested in learning more about our speaking, training, or venue consulting, head to our
1: website, hustleandgather.com. And if you love us and you love this show, we'd be more than honored if you left us a rating and a review. This podcast is a production of EarFluence. I'm Dana. And I'm Courtney. And we'll
0: talk to you next time on Hustle & Gather.